All right, well, welcome. My name's Kevin. I'm a part of the teaching team, and before I begin today's teaching, I did want to call attention to next Sunday. We have uh, a treat next Sunday. The Davis family, we're going to only meet Henry next Sunday for those of you that are here, but uh, the Davis family are uh, missionaries with uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission. We met Henry and Maria about 15 years ago when uh, Cindy and I lived in St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands for a short while. At that time, they had just uh, one son, Padilla, who was a little guy. You can see what has happened to Padilla in the 15 years that, since we met him. And then Abigail is their daughter. Um, Henry is uh, a guy that he was born in Venezuela. He grew up on the island of Montserrat. He never knew his father. He, uh, he's a guy that has come to understand the love of the Father God and goes about kind of sharing that as he goes around the world. Lately, they've been in China, in the Philippines, and Asia ministering. And in fact, Henry made a couple of trips into North Korea during this time. So he's going to have some interesting things to share with us. So if you want to hear an interesting guy and a great speaker and meet somebody who's a truly special person, come next week and uh, meet Henry Davis. Maybe I turned it off and we did all this thing here and yeah. Okay. Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. We've been at this for a while. I'm going to say probably since last fall sometime. Maybe more than that. We're kind of getting close to the end. We're uh, we're heading into Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is a letter that was uh, written to. Folks called the Hebrews, they were Jews, so they were ethnically and religiously Jewish. They had become followers of Jesus, and the letter is written to help them understand how to relate to God through Jesus instead of the way that they were used to relating to God with all of the rituals and sacrifices and things. The theme of the series that we've been going through is Jesus is better than. And today we're reaching sort of a climax in that theme. Uh, the author of Hebrews really is going to expand on the Jesus is better than theme to the point of saying how much better it is to relate to God, to the God who created the universe, the awesome God, through Jesus than any other way in which we as humans could try or hope to relate to God. So that's sort of the key point that we get to today. I'm going to read through today's passage. It's the last half of chapter 12. I'll read it through once um, just so you can kind of get the overview of it, and then we'll go through it in a bit more detail so that you can understand what's going on a little bit better. So we begin in uh, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, 
Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Well, there's a lot happening here. And uh, there's some references to things of old that we'll try to understand as we go through it. What I would ask you to do today, what I encourage you to do today, is just sort of try to capture the major theme. It's really story today. It's listening to the story of God, listening to the way he related to people in history and the way he seeks to relate to us today, rather than kind of getting fixated on all the details. I will try to unpack some of those. But I want you to just really sit back and let the story kind of wash over you this morning. Just take it in as that. So sit back, relax, huddle up with somebody next to you. Have I got a story for you? It begins with the original Hebrews, the Israelites, their first major encounter with the living God. So before I begin, let me pray. God, I'm grateful for uh, gathering us. I'm grateful for the word, which is life. I'm grateful for the presence of your spirit. So that we have uh, ability to understand, power to understand power to live different kind of lives. I pray this morning that my words will be honorable to you. I pray that you would speak words of life through what I share, that you would lift us up, Lord, that you would draw us nearer to you, that you would encourage us, that you would shake us up if we need to be shaken. God, that every purpose that you have for us that you would do this morning. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. The story begins with Moses and the people of Israel. They've just escaped from 400 years of slavery and oppression in Egypt. As a group, they've all witnessed the miraculous deliverance of God to secure their release from Pharaoh and their safe passage through the waters, through the Red Sea, on their way towards the Promised Land. So this story that we're picking up here really goes back to the book of Exodus. So I'm going to read some excerpts of a couple of chapters in Exodus. You'll find it in Exodus 19 and 20. Call this Encounter on Mount Sinai. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, They came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. So it's been just two months since the Israelites were delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, escaped Egypt, crossed through the waters, headed to the other side. They've been sort of wandering in the wilderness. If you read further back, you'll learn about manna and quail and lack of water and some complaining. Um, They've just left camp at Rephidim, and they've arrived in the wilderness of Sinai, and they're at the the base of Mount Sinai. And their leader, Moses, think back about Moses, right? He was was sort of their begrudging leader. They were like, why are you our leader? But he's nevertheless their leader. He uh, he heads off up the mountain. He's going to go encounter God on the mountain. And if you just think about that now, so you've been sort of expelled from Egypt, 
you've seen all these miracles, you've been wandering through the wilderness, you're kind of having some second thoughts, and your leader is now headed off up the mountain to go meet with God. So how do you think you know, they must have felt as they were sitting there at camp, and he goes off? How do you think Moses felt climbing up the mountain? A little bit of locality here. Uh, where in the world did all this take place? So this is, uh, you can see Egypt in the upper left. And we're talking about this, it turns out this thing has a pointer. So they were in Egypt and they escaped and somewhere they crossed water. Different people have different ideas about where that took place. And they've kind of wandered through this wilderness and they're in the wilderness of Sinai. And Mount Sinai is somewhere down here. Here's Rephidim. So they've broken camp at Rephidim and they've made it to Sinai. So just where is that in the world? Where is that place? It's uh, right there. So you're looking at North Africa. You can see countries like Morocco. We have a family that used to run a restaurant across the street from Morocco. They're back in Morocco. Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, places we hear about a lot in the news these days, right? This Arab Spring. Saudi Arabia. You can see that uh, Israel is kind of right up in here. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. This is Turkey. Greece, the boot of Italy, Spain. So it's kind of all right in the center of, uh, you know, culture. And, um, but it's smack in the Middle East, right? Smack in the middle of, of Arab lands. So the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses goes up the mountain. He appears before God, and he receives this word for the people. He says, you'll be my own special treasure. How would that be, to be the people that is God's special treasure? Right? So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. Repeat after me. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. That's about as half-hearted as they were, I would say. Because we kind of know that we know the story of the Israelites, right? We know the story of their wanderings. We know that, in fact, they didn't do everything that the Lord has commanded. Um, not too long after here, when Moses is back up on the mountain, this is after the Ten Commandments have been spoken to them by God. They got, they go and, and fa- fashion a golden calf, right? And they they worship this golden calf while Moses is up on the mountain. It's a bit of a mystery. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. 
Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. It was interesting to me that uh, people had to prepare for three days because on the third day the Lord was going to appear. On the third day the Lord was going to come down. This thing works behind your back. I am really happy with this clicker. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out uh, out from the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. So the people experienced God firsthand, and they were terrified. They were absolutely terrified. We just need to, we need to take that in. We need to receive that. We need to understand that. I'm skipping a few verses ahead in chapter 19. So Moses went down to the people and told them what the Lord had said. God had given him some instructions on the mountain. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt the place of your slavery, you must not have any other God but me. And he goes on in the rest of chapter 20 there. This is the Ten Commandments. This is when the law is given. Okay. So they were given at Mount Sinai to the people at the base of the mountain. Moses coming up and down and up and down. God descending from the mountain. And now making it absolutely clear that he is God. He's speaking directly to them. They're hearing these Ten Commandments and some other instructions that follow. And we go past those other instructions to the, just a few verses down in chapter 20. So when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, kind of like you were all sitting in the beginning of the service here, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us directly, or we will die. You speak to us, and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us, or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. As the people people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. So we're who, uh, we who are reading this passage in Hebrews, right? We, uh, we haven't come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. We haven't come to darkness, gloom, and storm, or to a trumpet blast, or to a voice, such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. We have not come to Mount Sinai where the law was given. We've come to Mount Zion. And just before I go into the next part of Hebrews 12, just reflect for a minute. 
there was no doubt of who God was. I mean, these people encountered the living God. They saw what he was like. I mean, a whole mountain that looked like it was on fire, right? Smoke billowing like a, like a brick kiln. They heard his voice. They heard the thunder. They saw the mountain shake. All of this was done so they would understand who God is, what he's like, so that they would obey, so that they would not sin, right? And how well did that work? I mean, don't we sometimes say, God, if you would just make yourself more clear, then I would follow you, right? If somehow, you know, I knew for sure that you existed, then I would, I would really live a different kind of life. What more could God have done in terms of making himself clear to the people, but still that's not enough? Somehow that's not enough to, to cause us, to make us able to live the kind of life that pleases him. Thankfully, we haven't come to that Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So in historical terms, Mount Zion, or Sion as it's sometimes pronounced, is the central part of Jerusalem. It's the part that was captured by David, was made into the royal city. It's also the site where the great temple was located. And we're contrasting these two mountains. We're contrasting Sinai and we're contrasting Zion, okay? Whereas Mount Sinai was the place where God came down and met the people, Mount Zion is where the city of the living God is located, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's the place where the living God dwells. Now, if I asked you to name some of the great cities of the world, what comes to mind? Favorite cities? White City? Los Angeles? New York? Rome? Okay, Paris. So you all have... Some things in mind as you're throwing those names out there. How about San Francisco? It's a city I'm familiar with in Northern California. You think about San Francisco. Anybody know the name of uh, these buildings in the front here? The Painted Ladies. Good. we got a San Francisco expert in the room. Fisherman's Wharf. Chinatown. Cable car. Come on. What's a trolley car? Cable car. Foreigner. Alcatraz. North Beach, Italian restaurant. Okay. Tiramisu, yeah. Golden Gate Bridge. Now, I've only scratched the surface of San Francisco, right? We could have talked about the financial district, Lombard Street, which is that crazy twisty street that uh, people like to drive down, uh, the Pacific Ocean, Golden Gate Park. So the great cities of the world kind of all have their attractions. The cities you were throwing out, you think of those cities like there's something there or many things there that I would like to go see, that I'd like to be a part of. But what about the greatest city of all? The city of the living God. So I'm going to say, and this, this is an amazing passage of Scripture where we get to kind of glimpse into the city, the greatest city, the city of the living God. And again, I just want to ask you to take it in. Let it wash over you. Let it speak to you as God revealing a little bit about who he is and what he's like to us. We've just taken that trip to Mount Sinai to a place of darkness, gloom, and storm. Now come with me to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So the first thing you see in the city... Right is you, you see these angels, angels upon angels upon angels, this giant host of angels, and they're celebrating, right? They're in joyful assembly. They're celebrating the king. 
Wouldn't that be something to see? Might be terrifying. (laughs) To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So here, too, is the the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. If you just think back one chapter in Hebrews, chapter 11, at verse 28, it says, It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. This was part of the miracles that God performed to secure their escape from Egypt. So firstborn, as it's referenced here, right, it's referring to people who have been saved by the blood, right, saved by the blood of Jesus, whose names are therefore written in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, Now, I'm going to say here it's not really intended to put God in an ominous or a severe light, but it does remind us that he is one day going to set the world to rights. And if you just reflect on the state of the world, you have to say that that needs to happen, right? There is just so much wickedness and so much suffering and so much brokenness in the world that one day God needs to judge evil and banish evil and put the world the way it was intended to be. And in this city, there's only perfection. So we have the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Those who have found redemption, wholeness, completeness. Randy, what's your word? Teleos, right? And it's what God intends for us, right? He intends for us to be people that are complete and whole. And we can, you know, we can appropriate a lot of that in this life. We don't have to wait only for the future. It's already broken in. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So in this city, not only have we come to angels, and we've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to all these things, we've come to God, the judge of all, and now to Jesus, the very center. So just as Moses mediated a covenant, right? He mediated, he was in between the people and God there at Mount Sinai. Jesus represents us before the living God. And the difference is what he did for us, And how well he knows us, right? How well he can identify with our weaknesses. He's the desire of nations, and I hope he is the desire of your heart. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now Cain and Abel were, uh, they were sons of Adam and Eve. And Abel was murdered by his brother Cain, who was jealous because Abel had made an offering to the Lord that was accepted by God. And Cain's offering was not accepted. So the word that Abel's blood speaks is vengeance. But the blood that speaks a better word than Abel's speaks forgiveness. And again, we're reminded that it's only by the blood of Jesus that we're forgiven and cleansed of all our unrighteousness. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? As we've gone through Hebrews over the last several months, there have been a number of warnings, right? Here's another warning. It's the warning of failing to listen, right? Just failing to pay any attention to this. I'm just going to ignore it. And I I just think back to those Israelites. I think about 
could there have ever been any doubt that there is a God, you know, and that they had to relate to him in a certain way, and yet it still, that didn't work. At that time, his voice shook the earth. It's referring to that time on Sinai. But now he's promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. So God's voice thundered on Mount Sinai and it shook the earth. But the day will come when he will shake not only the earth, but the heavens as well. So that only unshakable things, right? Only the things that are suited for eternity, for days without end, for everlasting life, only those things will remain. And so I would say at this point we need to ask ourselves, what are the shakable things, the created things that we cling to that we're afraid to let go of? Things that may be keeping us from giving ourselves fully to God and to his kingdom. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, <clears throat> let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The kingdom that awaits cannot be shaken. It's perfect and everlasting and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. This is our future. This is the hope that we have in God. The only appropriate response is gratitude, and worship with reverence and awe. After all, God is a consuming fire. It's interesting that it says that, right? He's not warm and cuddly, necessarily. He's the same God that appeared in Sinai, right? He's awesome. He's all-powerful. He's not like us. Thank goodness we have Jesus. And that's the good news, right? The good news is that Jesus stands between us and that consuming fire God. And because of his sacrifice, because of his blood, we can be in the presence of a God like that. We can actually live up to his expectations. We no longer have a problem between us and God. So we have these two mountains... Sinai and Zion. Better than really doesn't do it justice, does it? There's really no comparison between the two mountains. The way of Sinai, of trying to fulfill the law, trying to be good, trying to earn God's favor, that's a dead way, right? It's a hopeless way. It's impossible. We're incapable of living a life that's fully pleasing and acceptable to God. Our good works are never going to be good enough. And we're kind of delusional if we think somehow that we can manufacture some things and kind of present them to God and say, look, I'm not so bad, right? I'm not as bad as that guy. The way of Zion is life. So let's come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. Philippians 3.20 says, we are citizens of heaven where Jesus Christ lives. So we have sort of this dual citizenship, right? We have the citizenship wherever we're from on earth, and we have a citizenship in heaven, which is the place that we belong. Ephesians 2. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead 
because of our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So this whole thing about Mount Zion, it's the good news, right? It's, it's what it's all about. It's what, a, it, what is about to, to follow Jesus, to receive relationship with God through his blood, through his sacrifice. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we bring to him. It's, it's completely about what God has done for us to make it possible to relate to him. And if you think about, just think about the imagery of Zion. That is the future. Right? That is our hope. That's what awaits when this life is ended. And it's what should be informing the way we live. So we're not so caught up in the way life is going right now. We're not so caught up in the details. We're not so caught up in the struggles that we have. But we remember that we have this awesome future prepared for us. This passage kind of sums up. right? God in his great mercy gave us life uh, when he raised Jesus from the dead. So now we too have been raised from the dead. It says that. It doesn't say we will be raised from the dead. It says we have been raised from the dead. We have new life in Christ. We are new creations in him. Today we've taken a peek into those heavenly realms, right? We should never be the same. The Hebrews writer is calling us to complete loyalty to Jesus as citizens of heaven. I'm going to ask you, are you going to leave here this morning unmoved or unchanged? Let's press into Jesus more. Let's give him our all, our very best. It says here, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Not that we will be. We're already there. Right? Already have this, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. It's a bit of a mind blower, right? Something that we have to sort of maybe rethink about or change the way we think about it. But that's That's reality. We can't see it necessarily. We've got the curtain in the way. But heaven is close, and heaven is awesome. And God has prepared something wonderful for us. So I hope this morning that you've kind of heard the good news in a new light. I hope you've been refreshed in the way you think about the good news. And if you're somebody that really isn't too sure about the good news, isn't too sure about Jesus then I would ask you today, make a decision to cast your lot with him. Make a decision today to follow after him. Because he's made it completely possible to live the kind of life that pleases God. There's no other way but by his blood. There's no other way but by his power in us. We are not capable on our own of pleasing God. And we don't have to. All he wants us is just to receive what he's done for us. And for those of us that are followers... Let's make a decision today to commit ourselves even more to him, right? To hold nothing back. To really take a look at what things are holding us back from him. What's preventing us from giving ourselves fully to him? Where are we clinging to something that we think, no, I think this is life. When God has offered us real life, full life. I don't know what to, if there's anything specific for ministry time, but I think if, if you've stirred in some way and you want to be prayed for, you want to talk to somebody about it, come forward. There will be people up front that can pray with you. Um, most of all, I just hope that the story sort of rings in your ears for a while and that you think, I'm glad that I've got 
Zion to look forward to and not Sinai. Um, I'll tell you one little story. I, I once we were uh, we've adopted Cindy and I have adopted three kids out of our five, and we had adopted one, and we were thinking about adopting our second, and we were not sure. We were kind of waffling, and uh, I was wondering, you know, God, is this something we're supposed to do? Could you make it clear? And I had this dream. I had this dream in which, you know, I, I'll just say it shortly. I, I met Tony in the dream. I saw him. I looked him in the eyes, face to face, and I started to weep in my dream. I was sobbing. And uh, I woke up sobbing. And Cindy said, oh, what's the matter? And I was so shaken by that. It was so absolutely clear what we were supposed to do. But I told her after that, I said, you know, I hope God never speaks to me that clearly again because I don't think I can take it, right? I wanted him to make it clear, and when he made it clear, when I would tell that story to other people for months afterwards, I could hardly get the words out. It was so powerful. Anybody else have anything they want to add to it? All right. Well, if you want to be prayed for, come forward. Otherwise, we're concluded. Thank you.